Welcome to the official podcast from mycreditstatus.co.za. We will be introducing you to credit experts who will be providing valuable insight and advice from your financial health to improving your credit status and score. Your host for the show is Laura Palmieri. Hello and welcome to My Credit Status Podcast. In today's show, we interviewing Michelle Dickens. Michelle is the Managing Director and Co-Founder of Tenant Profile Network, also known as TPN Credit Bureau. Now, TPN is the largest credit bureau that tracks tenant payment behavior in South Africa. They have created a rental payment profile system, which gives tenants the opportunity to improve their credit score whilst renting their premises. Hi, Michelle, and once again, thank you for joining our podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Brian, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Can you, before we start off, can you briefly explain what TPN Credit Bureau is all about? So TPN is a registered credit bureau. Um, we established in uh, 2000, so we're 20 years old. And what we do is we're specialists. So what we collect data on is tenant behavior information. Where tenants rent, how much they pay per month, um, and importantly, how they pay their rent every month. So on time, paid late, paid partially, or not paid. That then helps us build a profile of the tenants. The majority of tenants are quality tenants, and that helps them to access further credits or properties in the market. Um, but it also gives us a wonderful base of analytical data to look at as well. Um, before we sort of, I just want to establish, so this is done, the payment profile behavior is inputted, it's through the agencies that have signed up with TPA. Correct. So um, TPN uh, looks after probably about 90% of the real estate estate agent market, um, the residential estate agent market. Um, we look after about um, 70 or 80% of the commercial property market, um, so all of your listed funds um, and your REITs. Um, and then we look after uh, private landlords as well. So individual landlords, micro landlords, they might have one property in their portfolio. Some of our institutional landlords have 10, 15,000 properties in their portfolio. And we look after everyone, everyone in between. So five properties, 10 properties, some of our landlords, 800 properties. So it's the landlord that then, so the tenant cannot, is the tenant informed when they, they sign with the landlord that signed up to TPN that they, their payment profile will be recorded? Such an important question mm. um, because TPN believes in transparency and actually um, we encourage the tenants to make timely payments. So how does it work? The first thing is before you can do a credit check on a, an individual, any consumer, including a tenant, you need the consent of the consumer slash the tenant to perform a credit check on their profile. The TPN consent clause that we provide our estate agents and landlords is twofold. One, that the tenant consents that the credit check will be done, and two, that the tenant consents that information can be shared back with the credit bureau. That information then is shared with us on a monthly basis. So we collect from our estate agents and landlords um, their portfolio of tenants with the tenant's um, information. But here's where it's so important. TPN is the only credit bureau in the country that then shares that information back to the tenant. At no cost to the tenant and at no cost to the estate agent or landlord, we then advise the tenant that their data has been loaded onto the TPN Credit Bureau and um, thanks them for making a timely and informal rental payment and therefore their credit profile has been positively updated or alerts them to the fact that the information is loaded as a late payer, a partial payer or non-payer and their credit profile has been adversely affected. And that then gives the tenant the ability to rehabilitate in the middle of the lease. 
So in month one, if I know my data is being updated, I know the TPN is accorded, I get my notification from the credit bureau. Next month, I have the opportunity straight away to rehabilitate and change my um, uh, uh, payment behavior so that I start to get those positive um, SMSs from the bureau. To me, on a personal note, to me that is a fantastic service. I actually think that most most landlords should actually sign up to TPN because it really helps them, the tenant, they, they know what they're doing. Because at the end, on a general lease, when no one signed up with TPN and it's a late pay, some people assume, and we've, we've discussed this before, that you can pay up until the 7th, for example. That's a general belief. Now, with TPN, having your profile updated every month, they can track it and they know exactly what's going on. It's not after two years of a lease, you get a poor score because you've been paying late, assuming that you've been paying on time because it's up until the 7th. Absolutely. Transparency of information and accuracy of information is absolutely key critical um, to us at, at TPN. To the extent that if there are disputes on the data, and actually it's legislated, if there are disputes on the data, TPN must load the disputes. And we must record it, we must mask the information from the tenant's credit profile whilst we go through that process to determine the accuracy of that um, information. Because you're actually creating a win-win both for the tenant and for the landlord. Absolutely. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so we go back to the popular questions we always get asked is, what are the requirements for a successful rental application? So for a successful rental application, there's some legal requirements that the landlord um, or estate agent needs to go through. So the first is that we're going to want, or they're going to want an application form from you. Filling in your personal information, um, your address information, where you currently are renting, contact information about you, and importantly, the consent. Because the tenant must get consent. Now, that consent actually doesn't need to be in writing, but should the tenant then dispute with the credit bureau that that person didn't have the right to do a credit check on them, the bureau is going to come back to the landlord at that point in time and say, share with us your consent. So the, the application form is important because it's got the consent forms. Then in terms of supporting documentation, estate agents are registered accountable institutions with the uh, Financial Intelligence Centre. And so they're regulated in terms of the FICA Act. What does that mean? Well, that means that they have to know their client, both the landlord and the tenant. And I repeat that, both the landlord and the tenant would be required to submit their FICA application to the estate agent. And that would include their identity, obviously, who they are, but importantly, supporting documentation to support um, that, um, that information. So the ID number, the proof of address, the proof of tax number, um, proof of banking details, um, you know, during COVID, one of the biggest issues that we faced was an increase in, um, in fraud, in identity theft. Um, and so estate agents and landlords want to protect both their interests and their clients' interests by ensuring that they know who their clients are. So you're going to need your application form, you're going to need your supporting documentation. Um, it is a tenant market at the moment. Let's not, um, let's not pretend it absolutely <laughs> is a tenant market at the moment. Um, but that doesn't detract from the fact that the landlord is going to want to take on a quality tenant. So the better you can keep your credit profile and your credit score, the higher you can get it, the more opportunity you have of being uh, placed. Because when you have a low credit score, it's not necessarily that you're not going to be placed. It just means that you're, uh, it might be more onerous. For example, the landlord might want to have a double deposit. The landlord might want someone to sign surety on your behalf to protect um, his interests. The landlord might want to say, well, you know what, I'd rather have a month-to-month lease than a fixed-term lease. That way, if you default, we can give notice uh, quicker than having to wait out the, the full term of the lease agreement. So 
it's not to say that because you have a poor credit score, you're not going to get rental. It just means that there would be complications or maybe um, extra steps or hoops that you would have to um, jump through. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to, especially in our present uh, economic climate, that there are some solutions with people who are suffering with poor credit scores at the moment. Absolutely. Look, it's been an absolute challenge. We can see just on our rental data that we normally, I mean, we go back into 2013, 2014, 86% of tenants were in good standing. 86. These are quality tenants. You know, the stories of, our oh, tenant from hell, they, they detract from a property investment the reality is that the majority of tenants are good quality tenants and become delinquent tenants when they fall into hard times, like this pandemic that we've experienced now. So the, the, the pandemic result, the point that I'm getting to, the pandemic result has resulted in the tenants' good standing deteriorating in one quarter, from quarter one of 2020 to quarter two, from 81.5% to 73.5%. 8% of tenants took an enormous knock on their ability to be able to uh, to pay their rent and immediately turned into um, uh, delinquent tenants. Sure. And, and that's not through a fault of their own. Correct. That's because the, the effect of COVID resulted in so many people either losing their incomes fully or partially, either temporarily or permanently. Um, and, and so, and not only that, but also not being able to move on. So where there was that restriction of movement and non-paying tenants who had lost their income, who wanted to move and were forced to stay in the properties that they um, that they were currently um, um, in, that's going to cause an, an impact. Absolutely. In fact, that was um, my, my next question. So as you mentioned, a lot of tenants are struggling now due to the COVID impact, pandemic, etc., etc. Now, you, um, I know... There's an interesting thing I've picked up on your on on your what you what TPN is offering at the moment, and I saw it's called a rent rental recovery pack. Now, now how does this assist the tenant? So the rental recovery pack we put out in in March as we went into lockdown, and um, as I mentioned, it was because of the fact that there was this restriction on movement. So tenants weren't able to move. Landlords, even if they wanted to cancel the lease and demand the tenant back, that couldn't happen. And tenants, even if they wanted to move in with friends and family. They weren't able to because they were prevented from uh, moving by law. Also, there was this loss of income. I mean, we went into it and so many people, restaurants, commission earners, people who legitimately had the ability to work and, and just weren't able to. So we suggested to the market um, two types of recovery. The first was a deposit utilization. And I'm going to be very clear that this was caused as a result of the pandemic. This yeah. is not a solution that you use in the ordinary course of business. If we are in the ordinary course of business, people have work, they have the ability to go to work, and they are retrenched, they must move out of the property in the ordinary course of business. But whilst we were in that pandemic, we said, let's use deposit utilizations. Let's create liquidity in the market, pull that deposit out of the um, savings account, out of the trust accounts, and get it into the market um, as um, and get the economy going again. That deposit utilization came with the agreement by both the tenant and landlord. In other words, the tenant couldn't say to the landlord, please use it, and the landlord say no, and the landlord couldn't say to the tenant, I'm going to use it, and the tenant says, uh, no, we can't. It had to come with agreement by both parties. Therefore, we put it in a document, and we said, you, as a landlord and a tenant, you must sign this jointly and agree to how this is going to be used, and importantly, how it is going to be repaid. And the second one, if they didn't want to use a deposit utilization, we said rent deferment. In other words, do a rent deferment for a month or two while we're in lockdown, and then the tenant will recover it and repair it um, over a period of time. But one provisor, we're going to do these 
agreements with tenants who are in good standing. Okay. So not the tenants who are already in arrears. Prior to and the pandemic. Absolutely. If you're in arrears prior to the pandemic, you've already painted your spots, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> these are for tenants who legitimately have now, our circumstances far beyond any of our controls for an contract. And it wasn't just TPN. If you look back, remember the banks gave payment holidays, um, store cards. Um, there were many, many, many people <clears throat> who gave payment holidays um, to their consumers um, in their cars. We kind of post that period at the moment. Uh, businesses are going back to work. We go back into alert level one in a, in a week or two. Um, and so the, the rent deferment agreements and the deposit utilization agreements are a little past their usage. The one agreement that's still on there that we've left on there is the agreement to terminate. And this is where tenants and landlords can agree to say, um, we're going to agree that we are going to enter into a termination agreement. These are the terms of the termination agreement. For example, there is an amount that's outstanding. This is how that amount is going to be repaid, regardless of the fact that we move out. Um, that, um, or we could agree that we're not going to claim the full amount and we're only going to claim partial. And that's because Right now, it's all about conversations. It's about negotiation. It, right now is not the time to take a hard stance. Yeah. If you have a delinquent tenant who's unable to pay, who has no income, why force him to stay in the property? Why force him to um, enter into an agreement where you're not going to get value out of him where he's legitimately not earning an income? But you can enter into a negotiation um, for, for, for future payments and certainly to get vacant occupation of your property at this stage. That then allows you to relate it and get a, um, a performing tenant into property. And, and did you notice quite a, a huge intake on your rental recovery? Pay? Insane. Insane. Really? So and we put it out there, we put it out there for free. We immediately, we immediately said, this is, not, this is not something that you go and put to market and you sell. This is something that you put to market and you make it freely available. To a tenant, to a landlord, to an estate agent, regardless of whether you are a TPN member or not, regardless of whether your data as a tenant is being shared with TPN or not, it is available for the industry. So we had tenants calling us who weren't um, part of the database, nothing to do with us, and then using it, asking us how to use it, and asking us how they approach their landlord um, to use it. Um, so so that, is, that, that is about creating opportunity within the market to find solutions. So it was, it was, there was an enormous um, uptake on that. That's very positive. I'm glad to hear that, actually. Okay, now let's go back to this famous questions. Can landlords evict and execute eviction orders, especially now because I had to change this, that we're going into level one? And if a tenant does get evicted, how does this affect their credit score? And how does the eviction process work? The famous million dollar question. The famous question that anyone wants to know. So when you're in a level five, complete prohibition on evictions. No one can move. Um, can't even get an eviction order, don't even go to court, the courts aren't open, the sheriffs aren't open, nothing is open. So alert level five, no, no evictions. Drop down to alert level three, and we were now, landlords are um, allowed to go to court, the courts may grant the eviction order. So many landlords went to court, and they got their eviction orders in alert level three. The only proviso was that the court wasn't allowed to um, give an execution date until the end of alert level three. So during that period, during the level three, the courts were saying, we're granting your eviction orders and we're staying the execution of that eviction order for between five and 90 days after the end of the level three. And as we know, that happened in the middle of August. So in the middle of August, landlords were now able to start 
executing and evicting their tenants, depending on what that court order said, five to 90 days after, and, and like days in between, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So landlords have already started executing on those eviction orders. The last date of those execution orders will be on the 17th of November, because as I said, it was 90 days in some instances after the end of Alert Level 3. So some landlords got the eviction orders in Alert Level 3 and are only allowed to execute on those ones on the 17th of um, November. We're now in Alert Level 2. The regulations changed in Alert Level 2 and said while we are in Alert Level 2, the courts may grant eviction order. Same thing. So you can go to court, you can get your eviction order, but those eviction orders are now stayed until the end of the state of national disaster. Okay. That's where the change is on this one. So it's not until the end of Alert Level 2, two it's at the end of um, the, the state of national disaster. And that date is set down for um, the middle of October. So. What you want to do at the moment is you absolutely want to go about getting your eviction orders. You don't want to delay going to court until we are out of the, the national state of disaster because an eviction order is going to take you two, three months in any event. So go through the process of getting it. And right now, if you start that process, by the time you're ready to execute, we're probably going to be out of this. Please, God, we pray. Yes. You're going to be out of the national disaster at that point. So I think the message is at the moment, it's not that you can't get your eviction order. You absolutely can get your eviction order. It's just about the delay of executing on it. Okay. I wanted to how ask you. Affect, you want, I, I, just want to, no. I just want to touch on your last question. You said, how does it affect your credit profile? Yes. So in terms of... Um, rental payment profile. Payment profile is collected every month based on the invoice of, of what you've received. So while you're going through an eviction order, you will not be invoiced for rent. So whilst you're in that legal process and the lease has been cancelled, so in order to go through the, the legal process of, of getting an eviction order, your tenant was in the property, they had a lease agreement, they stopped paying, you sent them a letter of demand. Because it was a fixed-term lease agreement for 12 months, you had to give them 20 business days to remedy their breach. You gave them 20 business days, they still didn't remedy uh, the breach. On day 21 business days, you then cancel the lease and demand it immediately that the tenant vacate because you're entitled to a law. The tenant still didn't vacate immediately, and so you hand the file over to the attorney and you started the eviction process. As soon as you cancel the lease, you don't, you don't, you don't uh, invoice for rent anymore. It's not to say that you're not entitled to what you would have received in lieu of rent, but you don't invoice for rent. You invoice, you invoice for, um, for, for, for damages, holding over damages. And so that invoice for holding over damages will reflect as a non-payment on their credit profile, on their rental payment profile for the period they stay in the property. So if they sit in the property for four months without paying, they will have four months of did not pay on their, on their profile, and TPN will record the value of what that non-payment is. So if the rent is, um, I'm going to make this easy for myself in terms of maths, 10,000 Rand per month, the value outstanding on their credit profile would be 40,000 Rand. And this, going forward, will have a negative effect when they apply for future uh, rentals? Absolutely, 100%. Because it will be recorded. So, absolutely. So in terms, of, in terms of how you rehabilitate your credit profile, there are different categories of data. So if, the, um, if there is a judgment, so we go to court, we get a judgment on your credit profile. The judgment is for the rand value of 40,000 rand in terms of that eviction okay. order. In order to have that judgment, and, and it stays on your credit profile for a period of five years, so it's retained on your profile for a period of five years, and the landlord can execute on that for a period of 30 years. So it only prescribes after 30 years in terms of collection. Um, 
if you rehabilitate yourself, it means you pay your landlord. So you pay the landlord the 40,000 rand that you owe, then maybe pay it in a year when you get uh, re-employed um, or what have you to collect the, the funds. As soon as it's repaired, it has to be removed from your credit profile. So that's what rehabilitation is about. It's about saying, we're not going to retain it for five years. If you settle it earlier, the bureaus must remove it. The second type is an adverse listing. An adverse listing is what many landlords do. So instead of going to court, because it's quite expensive, they just load an adverse on the on the credit bureau. It's 40,000 rand outstanding. That's it's on your profile for 12 months. It is removed, it is um, deleted um, automatically after the 12 month uh, period. But if you want to rehabilitate yourself earlier, you simply pay that amount. The bureaus must delete any information that is paid up or settled. Here's the catch though payment profile is a factual record of how you pay your account on a monthly basis. So if you do not pay your rent for four months, that did not pay for April, did not pay for March, did not pay for June, did not pay for July, that sits on your credit profile. How do you improve on it? You pay up all your other accounts. So those four months of did not pay are weighted smaller, less I see. than all your other payments that you have because all of those other accounts are, are, are paid up. So someone looking at a, a, a credit score, someone who's looking at, at a, a prospective tenant and they can see that, they can see it as, as a one-off thing that happened, but overall, so obviously that person might have gone through a bad time, etc. but overall with all the other payments, it, it, it doesn't look as bad, like you say, it's a small part of it. Exactly, and TPN retains your rental payment profile for five years. So if you had a three-year history in that property and you paid your rent on time in full for two and a half of those years in the last four months because of the pandemic you got into trouble, you have two and a half years of paid on time and only four months of, of non-payment. Um, if you have five different leases for five different years, each one of those five leases is, is, um, is, is retained. So you get a rich history of what, um, of what happens. On the flip side of that, if you are a delinquent tenant, and this was not your first um, um, delinquency with a landlord, that simply will be reflected. So if you have a history, regardless of the pandemic, of partial paying or skipping months and catching up and being late, that will be recorded on, on your profile. And because it's five years, that's 60 months of information. If it's only four months out of 60 months, you know, it's not going to have a big effect on you. Yes. But if there's... 20 months of delinquent payments and 40 months of good payments, that's going to weight negatively on your overall score. Okay, nah, that makes sense actually. Now, I just want a quick, quick question. Now, in the last few years, have you noticed a decline in successful rental applications due, due to pure, poor credit scores? I apologize. <laughs> Not enough caffeine, everyone. <laughs> we have. No. Okay, so what we've seen is that there has been a very slow deterioration um, in credit scores from 2013 to 2014, and that was the peak of when tenants were performing at their, at their best. And that is in line with as the economy has slowly deteriorated from, we're in the slowest, longest um, economic decline um, um, in a very long time. I can't remember the exact number of years because I'm not an economist, I'm not going to lie. But my <laughs> economist will tell me we're in the longest decline for a very, very, very long time. So there's a 13 to 20, that's seven years um, of economic decline. And so over that period, we see that the tenant's behavior, the rental payment behavior is deteriorated. In line with that, we've seen that the credit scores of applicants have slowly deteriorated as well. What have landlords done though? Landlords haven't selected less quality tenants. 
unfortunately, we've been in very much um, up until really now, we were in a landlord market. And so landlords actually pushed up their tenants' scores of what they accepted. So we had this merge. We had a slow deterioration in overall tenants' scores and application, but a slow improvement over what landlords were accepting in terms of the quality of tenant that they actually ended up uh, taking on. What I can tell you is in the last 12 months, what we do every month is we re-credit check every active tenant on our portfolio. Oh, every really? active tenant gets re-credit checked. And we rescore the entire portfolio of the country to see how that portfolio has changed. So what can I tell you there? There I can tell you that um, coming into the lockdown, 67% of tenants nationally around the country had a quality score. So for us, they're five um, parts of the score. A, B, F, C, A, excellent. B, good, C, average, those are quality tenants. E and F, um, below average and poor, those are delinquent tenants. Coming into lockdown, 67% of tenants nationally were quality tenants as they sat in their properties. They may have been better quality tenants when they were taking on and they deteriorated uh, once they moved in. It's not to say that um, they, they were placed as, as more delinquent tenants. It's just to say the quality of the tenant for that month um, was 67. 67% of tenants were, were, were quality tenants. In April, it flatlined on 67. Here's something interesting. In May, it popped up June 68. Wow. The scores of all tenants improved in May. Now, why did that happen? Simple answer. Payment, Payment holidays. Yeah. Payment holidays. So people weren't required to make their payments. Um, and because they had payment holidays, it didn't negatively impact their credit profiles. And actually, the national score of all the tenants um, increased. <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. And then um, in June, um, it dropped back down though, to, 60, um, to 67. And then in um, um, where we now, July, August, um, no, um, July, August, and September, it's actually deteriorated to 65. So now we're starting to see the, the impact. Real. People had the payment holidays. The economy starts to open, but not everyone is reemployed. Not everyone is back at their full salaries. And so the result there is, and it's not just on the rental payment profile, because here we're looking at all their payments, their car finance, their home loans, their credit cards, their school cards, their insurance, their cell phones, their telecoms, their, you know, all their credits. And so we're starting to see that people are backing. They are legitimately um, backing. Very interesting stats, that I must say. Okay, Michelle, on our last question for today's show, what advice would you give to future tenants to secure a successful application and maintain a good credit rating? Okay, so um, successful application, you know, get your stuff, get your house in order before you go to the, 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 the property, before you make your application. So get your supporting documentation um, together. Um, get your get your um, uh, bank accounts um, 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 validation data in in, in in order. Make your application in full, so don't miss pieces of the application form. If the application form and some of them are long, some of them are three four pages. I know TPN's application form is six pages because we do look at um, both applicants. If you're a husband and wife, so okay. fill it in in detail. Don't miss pieces out, um, and submit your supporting documentation. Um, and have your deposit ready. Have your deposit ready. Um, there are there are some there are some companies that give um, uh, zero deposits um, and options. Reach out to those kind of um, 
um, um, um, companies. Because you, you, you can do it on your own. It doesn't have to be something that the landlord or the state agent um, requires. You can do that as a tenant on your own. And then importantly, just maintain your credit profile. And what do I mean by that? I mean by that that so many people, it's like the seven-day myth. I have as a tenant yes. seven days to pay my rent. Look, that doesn't exist in law. In law, the, the, the Rental Housing Act and the Unfair Practice Act says your rent is due and payable as per your agreement. And if your agreement says it's due and payable on the first, well, then that's when you have to pay. Michelle, you, I'm guilty of that. As educated or whatever, I actually also believe that. So, yes, this is important information for you. <laughs> it's very important. And if you're using the TPN lease agreement, which is the most widely used lease agreement in the country, and you may not even know it's a TPN lease agreement because often it's branded. So, um, C, for example, uses it nationally and they're branded as a, as a C document. It is, it is drafted with TPN, and if you look at the rental due date, it's, the rental due date is due and payable on or before, and you must have cleared in the estate agent's bank account on the first. So if you're absent, your estate agent is FMP, and you pay it at 7 o'clock on the night of the first, is not that clear on the first. It might only be clear on the second, and if it's the weekend, it may only clear on the fourth. So I'm really glad finished. I know about this now. <laughs> <laughs> I think my so, profile might be affected. <laughs> It's very important that you understand the terms of what you've entered into with your credit providers. A, understand the terms. Understand when, whatever your credit agreement is, when is it due, how much should be paid, and how much we paid, and what is the minimum value. And then don't simply say, oh, you know, my minimum value this month on my school card is actually quite low. I can't be bothered. I will pay it next month. I will double it up next month. Because like it's, only, it's such a small amount. It's not worth the, the transfer. It's absolutely worth the transfer. Because if you don't pay it, you immediately get scored as not having paid that month, even if it is only sixty rand, right? So never skip a payment um, on any of your on any of your accounts, and make sure you're paying them on time and pull them up. Very important. Look at your credit profile. Every bureau must give you a copy of your credit report by Z. You've got you can go out and get your free copy of your credit report. Go and get it. View it. Make sure that it's accurate. Review it for accuracy. If there is something, maybe you had a default. Maybe you don't even know that you've been loaded with an adverse listing. Have a look at it and say, oh, you know what, I do remember this. Ouch, my bad. I'm going to go settle it and get it removed because you're entitled to have your credit profile rehabilitated once you've settled the account. Or you have settled it, but it hasn't yet been removed. Have a look. Make sure you understand. Look at all of your payment profiles. Make sure you understand the accounts that are being listed, that you're being monitored on. So review it and say, oh, you know what, I didn't know that my cell phone account was being listed here. I didn't know that my short-term insurance account was um, was listed um, over here. Um, and you can review for, for accuracy. And one of the important parts is your affordability. So your affordability is based on what, what the credit profile will do. It will say, what is your total exposure to credit? So in terms of all of your credit agreements, how much do you owe in total? Car finance, credit cards, what is your um, what is your um, facility look like on, on your different cards, etc. What's the total exposure? And then what is your monthly commitment? So I'm now going to understand as a um, future lender or as a future landlord or a state agent, oh, look, I can see that you owe 2 million rand in terms of your total credit exposure. And I can see that you're paying it off at 30,000 rand per month based on all of your different um, uh, monthly repayments. And I also see that you, you, you're earning 45 and you're looking to me for 15 rent, there's nothing left um, for living expenses. How are you going to pay for the groceries, the fuel, fuel account, etc.? So that then gives me the opportunity to say, okay, well, you're not, you're failing on this in terms of affordability, 
maybe we can have a second, maybe there's another applicant that is co-leasing with you um, to bring that affordability overall on the total application up. That's fantastic advice. Michelle, once again, it's really been awesome having you on our show and you've really provided us some incredible information and thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to My Credit Status Podcast. Make sure you tune into our next show where we will continue to provide you with valuable information about your credit health. We value your feedback, so we would love it if you can rate and review us on iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can be alerted as soon as a new episode is live. Visit mycreditstatus.co.za.